0: Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Haven't you enjoyed the weather recently? Like, it's been so nice, right? Some of us had to Find our sunscreen, those of us with the fairer skin. Uh, and it was somewhere deep in like a medicine cabinet. We don't know where it is right now. Um, and then for those of you that have my hair condition, um, I have I, I not used to like putting it on the top of my head yet. And so this is a very weird like season for me in life. Um, you can pray for your pastor if you'd like. Um, for those of you with hair, I, I, you're blessed. And I'm jealous and envious of you. Um, So, uh, but just really excited to be here today. We're going to be going through uh, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. So if you guys want to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 16, that's where we're going to be. And um, talking about the rich man and Lazarus, I'm going to tell you a story about a time where I felt rich. Hasn't been recently. Um, Unfortunately, it was just tax season. And uh, some of you feel really rich, which is great. God bless you. But um, I don't. I had to pay a little bit. So I'm like in that time. But the time where I felt the richest, like the richest, it was 1999. Um, For some of you, that is like yesterday. You're like, I remember the 90s. They were good days. And for some of you, uh, you weren't born or you were like as young as me. So this is great. I was probably like 11 or 12 in 99. And I was about to go to my very first church camp. And my mom drove me to the small town I lived in, Atascadero, and we had a store that had just opened and was called the Grocery Discount Center. Have you ever been in one of these? Have you? Yes, you have. They're amazing, right? It's where all the food that can't make the cut for like bonds and places like that it's like, that's where they go. Do you know what I mean? It's all like the messed up cans. It's all like the extra candy. It's, it's a risk shopping at the grocery discount center if you're worried about expiration dates. That's all I'm going to say. It's just a little, you just got to double check if you're, if you're weird about dates like me. I'm always kind of worried. But that day when I was 11 years old, 1999, I walked in and I wasn't getting any canned food. I was there for the candy. Amen? All right. And I had $10. $10 at the grocery discount center as an 11 year old man. And I was so excited because everything there was dirt cheap. Like I'm telling you right now, do you remember the caramel apple pops? Do you you know what those are? They were five cents, y'all. I had them by the the handfuls, just putting them into my little little plastic bag that was free back then. Uh, Now, it was awesome. It was in my plastic bag. I had, they had, listen, you're never going to find a Snickers, at least back then, you were never going to find a Snickers or Reese's Peanut Butter Cup there. But you were going to find the old school candy that I like, like Charleston Chew, you know what I'm talking about? Like the off flavor too, like strawberry, it was great. Um, Abba Zabba's, any Abba Zabba here? Oh yeah, Big Hunk, right? Anything that could not go bad. That was, it was all made like in 1935. It was awesome, Okay. I love these things called cowtails. Have any of you seen there, right? I'm also a big black licorice person. And so some of you, I don't care, okay? It's like, that's like my, I hate black coffee, but I love black licorice, okay? But the cowtails are there. It was like, oh, I, and I, was, I had $10. And these things were like 5 cents, 10 cents, a quarter. I mean, guys, I was walking around the the big, oh, this is like another one. Hey, do you remember the, the baseball bubblegum chew thing, right? Oh, no, no, the chew one where it looked like, it was like big league chew where it was like, you don't want to chew tobacco but I guess you can have gum, like something like that it was weird I I don't know, I had like six bags of those like just, it was awesome it was the greatest day, I felt like the richest man in the world like I just had all this candy and I was walking around $10 and it was just anything was at my fingertips I felt like I couldn't lose, it was great and that was the time where I felt rich 1999, probably the last time (laughs) be honest with you. And then, the time I felt the poorest, I was 22. And I had just gotten engaged. Like, literally that day. In fact, what we were doing is we were going to the engagement dinner with all of our family and friends, right? So, it was like 20 people there. And I wanted to go to Carl's Jr. because... um, That's just how I roll, all right? But this is my engagement dinner. It's my wife. And so we went to the macaroni grill, okay? And for some of you like, ah, macaroni grill, that's a Tuesday night for me. That's fine. For me, 22, that was like a once a year type of shindig, okay? And uh, and we're there, the macaroni grill, and I wanted to do this thing I'd always wanted to do. I wanted to pay for everyone's meal. I don't know why. It's probably because I just felt like I'm a fiance now. I'm going to have a wife. I want to feel like a man. And I thought the bossest move you could ever do was like in a large group of people, just be like I got this all right so for whatever reason that's what I did okay I said I got this and we're all we're all hanging out laughing something of us they brought in like this random lady that was singing and she's sang like best of me best of me it was like this whole great time and then the bill came and and I saw it you know? and it was like 450 dollars Which for some of you is like, again, a Tuesday night. For 22-year-old Charlie, I had like $75 in my bank account. I was praying in tongues that it would just drop right away. I didn't know, I needed a miracle. And I think other people like saw that I was worried. And so they're like, hey, Charlie, we'll help. I was like, no, no, no. I had to be the boss at this point. So I busted out the credit card that my mom gave me for emergencies. and, And man, I was just like, I've just spent like rent on this one meal. I hope I can make it. Like, do you know what I mean? That was the poorest I felt. So I think all of us have been in those moments, right? We felt like the rich man and then we felt like a poor man. And so that's who we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about this parable that Jesus tells, he formulates, he constructs, he writes down, and then he speaks to the people that are listening about a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. So um, your Bible should be to Luke chapter 16. We're going to be in verse 19. But before we go on, I'm just going to pray for the service really quick. So bow your head, close your eyes. Father... God, we just give you this time. God, open our eyes to what you want us to see in this parable. Father, reveal to us the truths that happen. God, the convictions that need to happen. God, the discipleship that needs to happen, even right now today. That God, as we read this parable that was written and spoken to people long ago, God, that we know that your word is living and true, and it will speak and be applied to us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to read the whole parable. I'm going to go back through and kind of explain it. All right. So this is the rich man of Lazarus. This is Jesus telling a story. Now there was a rich man and he had habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, the rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame." but Abraham said child remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things but now he's being comforted here and you are in agony And besides all this between us and you there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us and he said then I beg you father that you send to my father's house that I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment But Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets let them hear them but he said no father Abraham but if someone were to go to them from the dead they will repent but he said to them if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead It's a crazy, cool, interesting parable, right? Something that we've all read. Maybe you've heard that story before. You've heard like snippets and you're like, yeah, I kind of remember that from a sermon. But today I want to dive deep into what that parable means, which means we have to ask ourselves, who is Jesus talking to? So when you think about this who is Jesus talking to he's talking to two sets of people he's talking to his disciples the followers that have followed him probably more than just the 12 probably a a little bigger crowd of people that that would have gathered around to hear them and he's explaining to them what true discipleship looks like and then among that crowd are also religious leaders and to them he is trying to speak to them conviction of things that they have begun began to love more than God in fact if you look just a little bit ahead in Luke chapter 16 look at verse 14 and we will actually describe the the religious leaders as people who have loved money so in this context we know that these guys have chosen to not make God their first love but they have made money their first love. They have chosen money to comfort them, to, to bring them uh, peace and whatever. And that is, what, that is what they are doing right now, right? And so Jesus in telling this parable is going to tell them, I'm going to instruct you how to be a good disciple and then convict you because some of you think you love God the most, but look at your actions and look what you truly love. So that's what we know who Jesus is talking to. Now, what is this parable not saying? What Jesus is not trying to say is that rich people are bad. That's not what he's trying to say at all. So if you read this and you were like, yep, look, Jesus says right there that being wealthy, that guy, you know, he went to hell or Hades and, and and now he's there. See, it's because he had a lot of money and so, and he didn't give it away. So that's why he's there. That is not what Jesus is saying at all. In fact, you will see in other parts of the Bible where the people that are wealthy are blessed and follow God. Abraham in the Old Testament was one of the wealthiest people in the world. He had so much Back then it would be sheeps and cattle and and all kinds of stuff, right? But that was his wealth. He had so much to trade, he had so much money and he was a follower of God. You have Job, the story of Job where Job is wealthy beyond everyone and Jesus said, look at Job, he is a follower of me. He is a lover of me, right? So we know that in the Old Testament there were wealthy people that followed God and even in the New Testament, do you remember Joseph of Arimathea? That's the the guy who gave his tomb to Jesus. He was a wealthy man and so we know that even wealthy people, even though they might have have a lot of wealth does not mean they're a bad person doesn't mean that anything's bad with having a lot of wealth there's going to be certain things that we talk about when you have wealth and what to do with it that we'll uh, talk about a little bit later but do not think that Jesus is trying to trying to make the rich person a bad person just because he has stuff okay the next thing I'm going to tell you make sure you don't do because this is not what Jesus is doing is Jesus is not trying to describe heaven and hell to you in this parable okay that's not the point heaven and hell are real places we'll talk about that in a little bit but do not think that he is trying to physically describe to you what heaven and hell look like so like now listen i've never been to either one (laughs) okay we're good there but Jesus is not trying to say in this parable, like, you know what? In hell, there's like this big window that you can see heaven and there's a big chasm. And, you know, you kind of just look at each other awkwardly for eternity. Like, that's not, that's not what he's trying to portray, right? So make sure you don't read something into something that Jesus is not trying to teach us in this parable. So what is he trying to teach us? What's the point of this parable? Well, let's look at those first few verses and break those down. So we see... In the first few verses, let's, let's read them together really quick. If you don't have your Bible um, today, one, I encourage you get one. We have free ones. But if you need to just read the screen, go ahead. It said, now there was a rich man and he habitually dressed in purple and fine lemon, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus lay at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. So the people listening to this story would have, made a th- would have had two thoughts here. The first thought, were they, th- they would have thought that the rich guy was the good guy. Because remember, they don't know the rest of the parable. So as they're listening to the story, they would have thought that the rich man was blessed by God. He must be the good guy in the story. Because he has purple, he enjoys splendor every day and purple, the reason that purple is like the color of royalty and the reason that back then that only rich could afford purple was because to make the dye purple back then you would have to bring up sea snails from, from the, the river or the ocean or the sea and bring them up and, or Mediterranean mollusks, and bring them up and you would have to crush them and from their juices it would create this purple dye. And it was extremely hard to make. It was extremely time-consuming. And so the value of that purple went up tremendously. In fact, it would cost someone days and days and days of wages just to buy one little piece of purple garment. So there's kind of this, that's why it kind of separates everyone else. And it says that in the story that this man is clothed. It's in the finest linen of purple. Like he is dressed to the nines and there's somebody else who the religious leaders and even the disciples would have also known dressed in purple all the time. And that would have been the high priest. And so right now Jesus is correlating, hey, you guys think this is a good guy? Look, he has all this stuff. It says he eats in splendor every day, that every day he has a feast and it's just food beyond belief. And he's eating where where people would maybe eat meat, maybe once a week just a normal average person would eat meat once a week this man was having a feast every single day and he would eat to his heart's content and probably a little past that and, and it says that that back then instead of like having napkins or anything to wipe their hands they would actually take a piece of bread and they would wipe their hands and then throw it under the table so that the dogs could eat it and this is the crumb that the poor man wants He just wants a piece of a napkin to put in his mouth to quench just a little bit the hunger that he feels as he lays at the gate of the rich man. This blessed, God must love him more than most rich man is what everyone would have thought. And then to the poor man with his sores, with his poverty, with the dogs, these dirty, feral dogs, licking him, this dirtiest of dirty people as he sits at the gate, the audience would have thought, and there's a man cursed by God. He must have done something horrible. Whatever he did, he is now laid here and God must be so mad at him that he's allowing all of these hardships to happen and everyone would have thought that except one thing would have raised everyone's eyebrows. And it was that that man had a name. You see, never in any other parable does Jesus give any of the characters a name. Have you ever noticed that? So it was the good Samaritan, the traveler, right? The Levite, the priest, the rich man. But no one ever has a name until this poor man and his name is Lazarus. And and Lazarus is a name derived from this name, Eleazar, which means God is my helper. God helps. So everyone right here would have had their eyebrows raised that the character who looks like he is just in the pits, in the dark, in the whatever, must be cursed by God, must be forgotten. That guy got a name and his name is God helps. But how could God help? He doesn't have anything. And the sin that Jesus is highlighting through the rich man is this sin that we still make today and that is the sin of assumption the rich man assumed he assumed that he was a good person why? because look at all the earthly possessions he had had gotten look at all the stuff he had he must be a good person God must love him a lot. He must not be doing anything wrong. So he's just gonna keep doing what he's doing even though he's not too sure about it. He's just gonna keep being a rich man. He's gonna keep dressing to the nines. He's gonna have a feast every night because God must be okay with him because look at what he's got. The same assumption some of you are making right now. Well, my life is pretty okay. I'm good with it. I'm fine with it. I show up to church every once in a while. I I give when I can. I'm a good person I got kids I got family God must be okay with what I'm doing so I'm just going to keep doing it and you assume that you're in God's will because you're still accumulating things and that was the rich man's false assumption he assumed that earthly possessions meant that he was in the will of God can I tell you what a dangerous spot that is to assume that just because you got stuff means that you and God are cool. The rich man never wants to talk to God or ask God or maybe console, doesn't read his Bible, doesn't look at scriptures, which would tell him to go help the poor man, doesn't want to do anything like that because he's just assuming that, all right, I got things, therefore I'm good. But what has happened is this, is this blessing that God has given him, he has turned into his God. And he now looks at that and looks at those things rather than looks at the will of the Father and what God wants to do with him and his wealth. He assumed that he was good. And can I tell you what you can assume for some of you in here when you look at Lazarus, you assume that because you've been through hard times, because you don't have a lot, because things aren't going right, that God either doesn't love you or he forgot about you or he's just not there. That you've assumed that things are going so wrong in your life that God doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you or he's just not there. It's not real. And you're committing a sin of assumption on this part too, because you have to look at this poor man and his name, his name of Lazarus. Lazarus doesn't in the story, doesn't forget his name. He's the only one named. Doesn't forget that God helps. Doesn't forget that God hasn't forsaken him. Doesn't forget that just because he doesn't have anything that he is being punished or cursed by God in fact holding on to his name Lazarus tells us in the story that Jesus is trying to highlight that this man stayed close with the father even in these times of laying at a gate how good are you doing right now at that? are you blaming God for whatever circumstance you are in and saying well I guess that's just I guess he's not there I guess he's not real I guess I'll just do whatever I want and blame God for whatever is going on in my life because he doesn't care he doesn't love me or he's just not there how many of us look at difficult times and don't hold on to our names that God's going to help us we let go of our names and we just become another character called the poor man it's a dangerous spot to be this poor man doesn't do that He holds on to his names. He doesn't commit the sin of assumption. He knows who he is. He knows that that name means something. He knows that God is his helper. Now, we're going to continue on with the story, right? Jesus highlighting there the sin of assumption and how how that can put us in in a bad spot. So we're going to look at verse 22 really quick. He says, now the poor man died. Now I believe, I believe this, I believe that Jesus would have paused for dramatic effect because he's such a great speaker I believe he would have said and the poor man died and then paused just like this because he also was a great speaker Um, so he says the poor man died right now everybody would have assumed in that short little pause that they knew the rest of the story they would have thought and the poor man died and then the wagon came now listen, all of you had a spoiler alert, okay? So just try to put yourself in the, in the context of the people listening to the story for the first time. They hear in the poor man died and they would have assumed that the government officials would have come by with the wagon for the dead, right? Been pulled by a donkey or the trash, more likely. A donkey or a horse and they would have picked the man's body up, threw him in the wagon, would have taken him outside the city and dumped him in the trash pit and let his body burn. Because that's just where trash went and Jesus I believe pauses here and then puts a huge twist he had Lazarus already like a little twist then he puts this huge twist in the story look what he does he says and then angels came and they carried him away to Abraham's bosom and the rich man also died and was buried And in Hades, he lifted up his hands, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger and in the water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus, bad things. But now he's being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who who wish to come over from there to here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us man this is the genius of Jesus right here did you you see what he did he flipped the story who was suffering languishing hoping for bread at the beginning of the story Lazarus right now we have a role reversal they both die and now the rich man is in agony he's in torment all the, rich, all the poor man wants is a crumb from the rich man's table and all the rich man wants is for Lazarus, that poor man, to dip his finger in water and to put it on his tongue just a little bit to quench whatever torment is going on in his life. Do you see the genius of Jesus, how he reverses the story? How he takes each character and puts them in different, and puts them in the opposite situation. And, and, and what do we know about the rich man I mean did the rich man do anything like in the story did Jesus make the rich man kick Lazarus on the way in did he spit on Lazarus did he say anything negative about Lazarus did he do anything that would send him from the rich place in the palace of his house into Hades no and that was the point the rich man did nothing he allowed Lazarus to fade into the background in the front of his gate. Through his assumption that Lazarus was just getting what he deserved, he committed his second sin, which was the sin of neglect. See, too many of us believe that sin is just something that we do. Well, it's a sin that I commit. It's the bad thing that I do. It's something that I have to, something I have to physically take action on. Can, look at, can you look at the rich man's story here? He doesn't do any of that. He just doesn't pay attention. He just doesn't see him. He neglects the man that is sitting at his gate. And can you imagine how the story could have gone? That if the rich man would have walked to the gate and would have seen the poor man and picked him up picked up Lazarus and taken him to his to his house and put him at his table and fed him what he wanted then the chasm that would be between the rich man and Lazarus that chasm wouldn't even exist they'd be in both in the same spot but because the rich man refused to see Lazarus and to pick him up and to let him cross the chasm that went from the the front of his gate into his house because he refused to see that Lazarus now there's a chasm Between him and the Father. It was the choices he made in his life that led him to this place here. But it wasn't the choice to commit something, it was the choice to do nothing. It was the sin of neglect and just not seeing the person. So, my question to you is this How do you see people? How do you see them? Do you see them as people in need? Or do you see them as a nuisance do you see people as people in need or do you see them as a nuisance follower of Christ, Christian in this room, disciple in this room I'm going to speak to you just really quick because this story should kind of scare you Because too many times we don't see people in need, we see people as a nuisance, as an obstacle. They're getting in the way of the life you wanna live, they're getting in the way of your schools, they're getting in the way of how you wanna vote, they're getting in the way of all this stuff that you think should just be yours. You see people, not as people in need, that need the love of God or the gospel or anything like that. You don't see people that need something besides Uh, Assuming that their their identity comes from their gender or from their race or from their, their team or whatever it is, their political party. You don't see people as people in need that need to switch their identity from those things into Christ. You see people as a nuisance and that are getting in the way of the way that you want to live your life. And it's a very dangerous spot to be to see people as a nuisance and not people in need. I'm telling you right now, disciple, Christ follower, this story should scare you a little bit because you see the rich man that assumed and neglected and where he ended up. We have to, Christians in this room, stop seeing people as obstacles that are getting in the way of the way we want to live and start seeing people as people that need what we have. And you might be in here thinking, dude, Charlie, I'm out of that talk because guess what? I'm poor as can be. I ain't got no money, right? I ain't the rich man. I'm the dude that sad stimulus checks aren't coming, right? Like you're that guy. I understand. Listen, I get it. Um, But can I tell you this? If you have received Christ as your personal savior, the Holy Spirit empowers you and lives in you. If you've received that forgiveness and you know what your identity is, you know what your name is, you're richer than most people in this world that have bank accounts that extend to forever. So don't start putting yourself out of this story yet. You are rich and you got something you need to give. Now that some of you are mad at me or scared, either way, we're gonna continue on. So we're gonna finish up this story really quick says in the last part, verse 27, he said, then I beg you, Father, this is the rich man talking, I beg you, Father, that you send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And I need you to pay attention to who is speaking the story through the Father Abraham, right? But who is actually telling the story? And he says this words, Jesus said being father Abraham but he said to him if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And Jesus knew. Jesus knew I'm going to do something crazy a miracle and people are still not going to believe. And some of you have prayed the prayer of that of the rich man right? You've been like, God, give me a sign, anything, like send someone back from the dead, write my name in the clouds, like whatever. He's given you a million signs and you want a million in one, right? Have you ever prayed that prayer? You ever like flip that coin and be like, God, catch that coin and turn it to gold, right? Like, you ever like, like, sometimes we want that. We want this supernatural. No, you have to show yourself to me. You have to, you have to prove to me that you are real. Do something crazy that I would never think of. And you know what God's speaking to you right now? He's saying, I already did. He's saying, it's right here. He's saying, it's right here. And Jesus, through the rich man, is highlighting his final sin, the sin of ignorance. You see, the rich man knew the law. He knew that he would, or he should know, that he was supposed to help the poor man in his gate. He knew there were Jewish laws that would require him to take from his wealth and to share it with those who are in need. But because he assumed he was good, he became ignorant to the word of God, and he said, well, I guess I just don't have to read it, and if I don't read it, then I guess I'm okay. It's the same lie some of you are telling yourself right now. You're like, well... I like don't know that I'm doing wrong, so I guess I'm fine, right? I'll tell you I'll tell you the story about my daughter, Soraya. So Soraya was in the car the other day with my wife and they were going to uh, one of their, uh, it was called the Meriden Heritage Girls, like a little girl's uh, Bible uh, discipleship kind of thing. And while she was in there, Soraya's pretty talkative, right? So they're talking usually, but is really quiet. And my wife, who has like that mom sense, like all of you all have, it's the same mom sense that when she knows the kids are sick. Like it's the same thing. When a, my girls say my tummy hurts, it's like 99% of the time, like I'm, they're lying, right? Because they don't want to finish their dinner. But my wife can tell the 1% were like, oh, they're really sick. And I'm like, how did you do that? Like, it's amazing, right? So she has the mom sense coming out. And Saraya is, is really quiet and she has candy in her mouth. And my wife knows. She goes, Soraya, what's in your mouth? And then Soraya doesn't want to talk. And then my, because my wife, you know, has incredible discernment. She goes, is it candy? And then Soraya shakes her head. And she's like, "You know we're not supposed to have candy, you know, while we're driving in the car." But you know what is thinking, but you never said that when we got in the car, right? Have you ever played that? Parent, you've had someone play that? That same laughter, that chuckle that you know, hey, that's not you know what's wrong, but you're choosing to ignore the fact. you're choosing to pretend. That's the same chuckle. The same, the same thought that Jesus has. He doesn't laugh about it because there's eternity in your, in, 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 your, uh, in your future, but he's thinking you can't choose to be ignorant. You can't choose to have your eyes closed just because you never decided to open up the book because you never asked me what the will was. You can't choose to not believe. Some of us are ignorant that there is a, even a place like hell. Like, no way, like the God I love, the God I follow would never create a place like that. Like, how could you say that a God of love would create a place like hell? I was talking to to Pastor Dylan about this and we were just chatting about the sermon this week and he said something I thought was so amazing. He said, you know, what's what's interesting is that people who don't want God in their life or just want a very little bit of God in their life think they wanna go to heaven where 24/7 you seven, you're gonna be praising God. And in this life, if you choose not to have God in your life, then why would you be surprised that that choice would just extend to eternity? Why would you be surprised that if you chose not to have God in your life, not to listen, not to have his purpose, not to worship him, if you chose that life while you were still living, why would you think that you would want heaven? God is not sitting there saying like, well, I just want somebody to go to hell so that there's a bad place to go. He's saying, listen, I just want to give you what you want. If you want to be with me, then just be with me. I'm cool with it and we can be together for eternity. But if you don't want to be with me, then I'm okay. I guess that's your choice. And you can't be ignorant to that fact because it just doesn't fit your worldview. It's not how your feelings go. It's not what you're assuming is right. Can I tell you that C.S. Lewis says it like this? He says, you know, Christianity is gonna have a really hard time competing with made up religions because they can say whatever they want. But Christianity's, Christians have to deal with fact and with truth. If I can tell you this, one of the reasons that I think you should choose to be a Christian is just for that right there, that reason that nobody is going to tell you what you want to hear just to make you feel better. We're not going to tell you something because you know what? We just don't want to have an argument with you. We want you to feel like everything's fine with your life and we just don't really want to have that relationship where there's tension. We're going to tell you and we're going to preach the truth and we're going to stand on that foundation and that should encourage you because it's nothing that's made up. We're not just making it up to make people feel better and just being like, okay, come into church. That sounds like a cult to me. But when you stand on truth, it can get a little uncomfortable sometimes, both for Christians and for non-Christians, but it's stable. It's foundational. It doesn't shake. It won't let you down. It'll test you. It'll press you, but it will not fail you. So don't commit the sin of ignorance thinking, well, I just don't know it. I'm telling you right now, don't let your Bible just sit on your table from Sunday to Sunday. And then tell God, well, I didn't know that's how I was supposed to live. He's gonna tell you it was right here the whole time. What are you gonna choose to do? You know, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And when he's talking, he's teaching them what true discipleship looks like. And what he's saying is this true discipleship looks like this. True discipleship seeks God's will and sees people in need. No matter what area, station, season you are in life, disciples seek God's will, whether they're at the gate or in the palace. They're seeking God's will. And they will not ignore people in need, whether that's actual physical need with your money or whether that's a spiritual need with the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. And maybe you're here today and you've just been wrestling this whole time because you know this is real. You know this is truth. You don't want to be ignorant. You don't want to assume. You don't want to neglect what God's trying to do in your life and you want to choose today to make Jesus the savior and the forgiver of your sins and make God the God of your life. And I wanna give you that opportunity right now. So will you bow your heads, close your eyes with me? I'm gonna ask you to do a very simple thing. And yet it's gonna be so difficult to do because right now there's a spiritual war trying to get you. It's gonna tell you, don't do what that guy's saying. And then there's gonna be a big part of you that's saying, just listen. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if today, either for the first time, or you've walked away and you want to rededicate your life to being a disciple of Jesus, wherever you are, I just want you to raise your head right now and look at me and don't stop looking at me until I see you, until I tell you to put your head down. Just raise your head and look at me. Okay, with those heads up, I'm gonna tell you, you just made the greatest decision of your life, seriously. This is an eternal decision. And I want you to know how proud and like that they say that there's like angels that are just celebrating right now, that they're so stoked. If I could, I'd do a backflip, but I can't. I don't wanna hurt myself right now, okay? And we're gonna pray together with everyone in here. So I'm not gonna make you stand up or do anything, hold up a sign, but we're all gonna pray together. I'm gonna ask you to do one thing after we're done praying, right? So go ahead, bow your head, close your eyes. Everyone repeat this prayer after me. Father, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, come into my life. Holy Spirit, come into my soul. Comfort me. Convict me. Lead me. That I may be a follower of Jesus. Holy Spirit, right now, for the people that raise their head and maybe someone that was too scared, I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, you would be speaking to those people right now. We'll be putting in their minds, God, uh, thoughts that, that were just not their thoughts, that they are wonderful. They're wonderfully made. They are beautiful. They are awesome. You have a plan for them. You have a purpose for them. God, I pray that they would be, for whatever reason, just super joyous right now. They'd be happy. They would just know. It they, they would feel just right. Like they made the greatest decision of their life. There would be some spiritual moment that happens in their life where they know that this is exactly what you created them to be. And the Holy Spirit, you would lead and guide them and never leave them. Sometimes convict them if they need to drop an addiction or drop something. But God, that, that conviction that, that we know that that's not out of that of uh, hate or or wrongdoing or or con- our condemnation, but God, it's just out of, I want the best for you. So God, I pray that over them right now. In your name we pray, amen. I'm gonna ask you that those, those that raise their head, I'm not gonna call you out or anything, but I'm gonna ask you to do something that's a little scary, okay? It's about, it's going to take you about 30 steps and it might cause you to be a little late to a lunch appointment or whatever. I'm going to tell you, do it. There are some wonderful people over here. Some people that are called next steps. They want to talk to you. Over here, if you need prayer, there's also some wonderful people that want to pray with you. So if you need prayer, go over there. But if you committed your life to Christ today, I want you to just go take whoever. If you have a friend that came with you, take them. Go over there get information, these people want to walk with you, answer your questions, pray with you, whatever. So they are awesome. This corner is an amazing place to be if you need to be there. Can everybody stand up with me? Alright, can you guys repeat after me? Lord, keep me outward focused and fill me with your spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church because I see what I'm looking for and make me And to a generous person like you. God bless you guys. We'll see you guys next Sunday. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at Norco, Or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.